I want to challenge you. I think was it I think it was last night. Was it last night or the night before that you finished your Bible reading plan? Last night? Okay, so last night Kay finished her Bible reading plan and she's now read the Bible in the course of this year, 2023. Some of you may have done the same and if you if you have I want to encourage you as you are about to enter 2024 to perhaps make it a goal of yours to read the Bible this year. Um, you'll find it rich and rewarding. Uh, you'll find it to be a great blessing to your soul. If you would please open your copy of God's Word, we will be resuming our study of the Gospel of Matthew. And I think this is such a wonderful passage to have reached for this particular date as we're closing out one year and as we're entering a new year. We are faced with the most important decision that any person can be approached with. And that is, will we follow Jesus? So turn with me, if you would. The apostle, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes thus. Then children were brought to him that he might lay his hands on them and pray. The disciples rebuked the people, but Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and went away. And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter eternal life, keep the commandments. He said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these I have kept. What do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, 
You who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the living God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for this passage and for showing us what it looks like to come to you and what it looks like to have our coming to you curtailed by our own hearts. Forgive us for our hard, unbelieving hearts and grant that we would come to you in true faith. For Christ's sake we pray it. Amen. All right. So here we are. It's New Year's Eve. And I have a question for you. Are you full? I'm not asking you if you have if you're still working on uh, a month of feasting, you know, in your intestines, are you full? Um, n- no, fullness in the, in the Bible is a, is a metaphor for being satisfied with something or other in life. Are you full? Or are you empty? Emptiness denotes Hunger denotes lack of adequate provision, lack of adequacy at all. We want to be full. And as you sit here at the end of 2023, how are you doing? Chances are, if you've been, you've seen the the investments that you have While they took a massive beating in 2022, they've done remarkably well in 2023. Chances are you have attained a new position. Or how how are you doing? Are you sitting here basically satisfied? And at the end of a year and at the beginning of a new year, these these transition points that are built into the rhythms of life that we have, uh, while, while in one sense you could say it's just arbitrary and imaginary, whatever, hu- humans, we, we, we cling to rhythms, the rhythms that are built into life. And so the rhythm of life that is the new year provides a remarkably convenient opportunity for us to assess where we're at spiritually. Where are you at spiritually? And that I ask, are you hungry or are you full? In this passage, as I mentioned a little bit before, we see this this man come to Jesus. And in, 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 in Matthew and Mark and in Luke, he's identified as rich. Matthew throws in the additional qualifier that he's young. 
And in Luke, we're told that he's, he's a ruler. He's, he's one of the, the, the elite social standing people of his. So oftentimes you will hear this story referred to as the story of the rich young ruler, kind of putting it all together. And this man comes to Jesus, and this is a beautiful picture of, the, of an in-life look at the doctrine of justification. Martin Luther talked about how this passage basically paints out what the doctrine of justification looks like in discussion. The doctrine of justification by grace through faith is the doctrine on which the church stands or falls. And, and you see it just beautifully portrayed here. But at the core of the existential experience of a man, we see a man who comes to Jesus quite full. And in his fullness, he finds the demands and the offer of Christ to be remarkably unsettling and disappointing. As we say here at this church each week, when, when, when we have the children come forward, we, we do it for a multitude of reasons simultaneously. One, it is because the kingdom belongs to such as these. And, and just as Jesus literally paused from his ministry and literally blessed children who were brought to him, regardless of their profession of faith, because they belong to people who did believe and our God is a covenant God, so we bless our children. But it's important to remember that Jesus, on multiple occasions, puts children in front of the people to say, you must become like one of these to inherit the kingdom. And in today's passage, Jesus once again makes that kind of statement, doesn't he? To such belongs the kingdom. If you are to inherit the kingdom, you must do it like a child. And we will get back to that. But along the way, there are two great things that oftentimes impedes our spiritual growth, that impedes our walk with Christ. And they get in the way. The first is our credentials, and the second is our commitments. Do you think it's accidental that the Bible points out that he's, a, that he's a rich, young ruler? Do you think those are just incidental details? The, the, the Bible speaks of lots of people coming to talk to Jesus without ever really describing them. So it, we should not think it's accidental. His credentials here matter. In fact, when you read all three of the synoptic gospels, remember the synoptic gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and their accounts of this. The, the, the disciples are, in every case, astonished. Why would, why would you have driven such a person away? Why would you turn such a person away? He, he's got social cred. He's got, he's got cash. He's, I mean, he could help the kingdom. 
our credentials get in the way. Because we look at them. What have you attained? Some of us have attained things. And we're tempted to think that that means something of standing in the eyes of the kingdom. We, we live in a world that, that is operating by the principle that you, you need to work hard and excel. And there's an inherent, there's an inherent competition in, in life. And so you're competing with someone else for a promotion. And that's all fine and good. Excel. And sometimes excelling means going to college and, or grad school or some sort of trade school to get a certificate, to have, to have that piece of paper that says you are competent. Great! I am not poo-pooing any of that. But our problem is this. Too often, we sit here and we hold in our heart Yeah, I graduated third in my class. I was one of two people under consideration out of all these other people. And even if we don't articulate it out, in our hearts we think we're something special. We think we're basically okay. And the second thing that impedes our walk with Christ, our discipleship, are our commitments. What are the things that I'm deep down truly most committed to? Truly deep down. We, we can have all sorts of commitments, and we can have them all with, with varying degrees of, of commitment. But deep down, what am I truly truly committed to. And in this passage, you see Jesus confront both of these aspects. So what does this passage say about entering the kingdom? And I would say progressing in the kingdom, making progress along the path of discipleship. Understand that the Bible oftentimes will speak of repenting or or, or, or forgiving, or, or whatever. And there's, there's a one-time big action, like a capital R repenting, that's your initial turning to Christ. But then there's lowercase r repentings that we need to do throughout our Christian life as we sin. Okay, so that we've been capital F forgiven, but we need to seek lowercase f forgiveness as we progress in our walk with Christ and we commit sins and we're turning from the, we're, we're fighting the flesh, we're mortifying and putting to death the d- deeds and desires of our wicked hearts. And so this passage, even though it speaks on the face of it to, to the initial coming, recognize that the seeds of self-sufficiency which lurk in each of our hearts oftentimes will sprout up at multiple times throughout our lives. And it's this kind of passage that enables us to to take a weed whacker or or maybe just get on the gloves and get down on our knees and and pull them out. This kind of passage orients us of what kind of heart it is that is honoring to God and received with honor by God. 
So the first thing we must recognize about entering the kingdom, and this is, this is the, the cannon blast to our ego. We must recognize that we are not good. Period. Every single one of the synoptic gospels, they, they each have their own little spin, they, their own vantage point of what, of what aspect of the conversation they're recording. But each of them records this. The man comes up and he wants to know, what good deed must I do? And Jesus immediately in every account challenges and confronts, what do you mean talking to me about what is good? There's only one who is good, God. Now, here's what's interesting to me. As I've been looking at Matthew, and as, as you've been looking at it together with me, I, I hope you've been uh, pleasantly astonished as you've seen and read for yourself the interactions that Jesus has with people and, and then extrapolate that across the Bible or across the Gospels. And what Jesus does here is, is very different than what you would do if you were a, a Tim Kellerite, okay? Uh, if, if you're someone who's committed to being witty for the city or, or winsome to winsome, uh, you would spend much time talking to this man about how laudable it is that he's asking the right kinds of questions. I mean, look at this guy. He's coming up to Jesus, and he's certainly pious. He's, he's certainly committed to his faith. He's, he's not coming up to Jesus uh, like a Pharisee to put Jesus to the test. He's coming up to Jesus with, an, a, with, with a sincere question, what must I do? And he calls Jesus good teacher, and I mean, he respects Jesus. If you were a Kellerite, and if you followed the trajectory of Keller's main baby, the Gospel Coalition, you would spend an inordinate amount of time telling this guy that he's not really as lost as he thinks he is. You would just laud. But yet look at what Jesus does in every, every discussion that he has with someone. He very quickly confronts or challenges everything about what they're presupposing. Whether it's this man here, whether it's Nicodemus, the teacher who comes to him. How is it you, being the teacher of Israel, don't know this? Whether it's the woman at the well. Yeah, go, go, go get your husband. I'm not married. That's right. You've been married five times, and the man you're with now isn't your husband. Understand that what we see here modeled by Jesus is a commitment to being a soul hunter. Jesus is not content 
to just nurse people along and, and, and slow roast people and hopefully there's this gradual conversion into the kingdom. Jesus is a soul hunter. And he knows that every opportunity is a precious opportunity. And he, second person of the Trinity, knowing the end from the beginning, if he operates this way, how much more should we? We do not know when someone's last breath, when someone's next breath is their last breath. So in our discussions with people, dash us the myth that to challenge or to confront is inherently to be a jerk. But sin and errant notions and presuppositions must be challenged by the faithful. That's what Jesus here models and consistently models. All right? So he tells this guy, there's only one who is good. Wow. What good deed must I do? This, this man is, is asking a question that he understands or operates out of a premise that there is something I can do. That in the doing of it, I merit eternal life. What is it? Now look at the existential angst that this guy has. As the discussion proceeds, it's clear. He has, he's kept, as best as he could, the commandments in their external forms. But yet even he knows there's something missing. There's something I've, I've done it. All these I've kept. In the heart of every person, as has been said for millennia, there is this God-shaped hole. God has made us for himself. And our hearts are restless until they rest in him. And, 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 and I hope you, you see through the, what Jesus says, and the point that this man misses is Jesus looks at the man, what must you do? The, the one thing this man needs is to come follow Jesus. What he needs is relationship with Christ. That, that's the one thing. As full as he might be, he thinks and he's satisfied because of his accomplishments, his attainments, his, his, his commitments. But the one thing that he doesn't have is following Christ. And the one thing that keeps him from that is, is his commitment to what is truly deep down leading and governing and guiding his heart. This is why have you ever wondered why Jesus tells this man to go and sell all his possessions and, and, and come follow me? Um, why does he say to sell all your possessions and give it all to the poor? This is the only place he makes that kind of command. This should tell you something. So a little, a little history lesson. 
churches and traditions. There's been monastic orders that have been built entirely upon isolating this passage. And it still runs deep that, 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 that there's something inherently meritorious about giving up all your possessions and, and just being poor. Jesus makes this demand of no one else. This is a highly personalized statement. So don't, so banish from your mind that what this passage is teaching you is that you must go become poor and live, and, and, and live in, a, in a monastery. Okay? But Jesus is telling us something about how we must treat the things that are holding our hearts captive if we are to follow him. Remember the parables that we've read in Matthew about the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure in a field and the guy goes and he's surveying the land. He's, he's about to make an offer on it. And lo and behold, he finds this treasure and oh, ooh, he buries it. He quickly puts it back and he goes and sells everything he has to buy it. So sometimes the kingdom is stumbled upon accidentally. In other times, it's like a merchant who's looking and he's searching and then he finds it. He finds the thing he wants, the pearl of great price. And having found the thing he wants, it's so sublime, he then goes and sells everything else he has to acquire the thing that he has now found. Jesus wants us to know that he and he alone must be Lord of our heart. Jesus has previously said, where our treasure is, there your heart will be also. And this man's treasure was his treasure. So as good as he was, it was the one thing keeping him from coming to Christ. Is there anything in your life that you hold on to with such tightness? Is there anything in your life that is so precious that under no circumstances will anything get in the way? Not even the call of Christ. When Jesus here at the end of the parable says that he will reward all those who have left houses, that's possessions, or brothers, or sisters, or father, or mother, or children, or lands, for my name's sake. He's saying that to be one of his is to see him as so precious that by contrast, everything else is let goable. And if there's something that we say, nope, nope, Jesus, you can demand this, 
You can demand that. You can demand this other thing over here. But this right here, I, I refuse to give up. That is the obstacle to growth. Jesus here points out this man's heart issue. It's money. It's the comfort, the convenience, security that come with money. And money is an issue for a lot of people. I mean, it's talked about throughout the epistles. Beware, beware. But it's not the only thing. So what is it? If we come to Christ full, oh, I'm operating out of the security and ease of my affluent life, and in that comfort and ease, my goodness, I've, you know, given generously to the church, I've, I, I, I've, I've been nice and kind and gracious, I haven't cheated on my wife, oh, what else? I'm missing it. Jesus preeminently wants to be ruler of your heart. And out of the, him ruling your heart, your life of obedience then follows. But if Christ be not precious to you, then Christ belongs not to you at all. That's the lesson here. So coming to Christ involves the repudiation of the idea that we are good. It involves, second, the understanding that he's after your heart. And he must be precious to you, more precious than anything. That was the second thing I missed. Third, we must receive God's grace as it is offered. Free. What Jesus says in verse 26, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. You see here the sovereignty of God in order. M many people in traditions that want to deny the sovereignty of God will try to tell you that, that the rich person is like a camel threading the needle, is that they pull up this ludicrous and, and not true, it's a lie. That, that the eye of the needle is a nickname for some inner gate that, that, that a camel could walk through, you know, on its knees. Okay, if the camel can get through, then the disciples' response is stupid. And Jesus saying, with man, this is not possible. Okay, no, he's not talking about an inner gate to a door. No, no, no. He's talking about, you know what he's talking about, a sewing needle. And you can't get a camel through it. That's why the disciples go, who can be saved? And Jesus affirms, with man this is impossible. Not just, eh, it's a little difficult. A little inconvenient. It's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. You see, the impossibility is because our hearts, the, the, the impossibility of us coming to Christ on our own and especially when we're full of self, of life, of, of, of the things of this world, of pride, of aspirations, and we're just basically satisfied, and we're looking for the little cherry on top of our life to call it a day. 
And that's impossible because as the scriptures teach us, our hearts are dead. And the dead don't live on their own. We are enemies of God. So we may, like this rich young man, come to the Lord seeking that to solve that, 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 that riddle that we have in our brains because there is that God-shaped hole. Unbelievers do seek after an answer to that riddle. But their own wills will not allow them to see and submit to and worship and adore the one true living God as he is because their hearts are at enmity with God. And so what we must see is if we're to come to Christ, we must receive God's grace as it is offered freely. And the freeness of his grace as it is offered is what we see at the start of today's passage. In verses 13 to 15, the little children are brought The little children didn't decide to follow Jesus and therefore come to him. The little children didn't sing, Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had father. We're not talking about people who have engaged their wills and decided to follow Jesus. We're talking about children who are young enough to be in the way, to make messes, to, to cause problems, to get in fights with their siblings and throw open the door and put a hole in the wall. And they're brought to Jesus by parents who desperately want the Lord of life to bless. And without without hesitation, without any haranguing, without any preaching even, Jesus simply blesses them. That's how grace comes. It comes to the undeserving. It comes to those who have nothing to offer. They have no sense that God is somehow fortunate that I've chosen him. They just need his grace which is why Jesus says we must become like one of them. So as you look at this year in review and as you look at the year ahead, do a gut check. Am I perhaps relying a little too much on, I don't know, what I've accomplished, on my, my sense of attainments? On, is my identity a little too wrapped around my status as, as, a, as, as a whatever you are at your work or as a husband or a wife or a mother or a father or a grandparent even? Is my identity a little, am I holding on to something? I'm not saying you are. I'm just asking you to do the gut check. Is there anything standing in the way that you regard as so precious that you would never, ever, ever forsake for the sake of Christ? If so, Repent of that and resolve that if the call of Christ comes, you will indeed say, let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, 
God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for your grace, which is lavished freely on us, the undeserving. Lord, help us to be conscious of our undeservedness and to walk forward and proceed out of that. Forbid, Lord, that we should ever think that our attainments or credentials in any way merits favor or that we are basically good because of it. I am rotten deep down and apart from Christ, I'm wretched. Thank you for sending your spirit to redeem someone such as me. May that be our prayer for each of us. In our Lord's name we pray, amen. Would you please stand and join us in singing Take My Life and Let It Be. Mm -hmm.